Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Pastor Jeremy Anderson, and this will be a bonus for you guys. This is a preview of my latest book, Dominion of Darkness, Book 1, Therion Rising. I'm going to read the first two chapters for you guys, so enjoy. Darkness, Book One, Therion Rising, written by Jeremy Anderson, read by the author, copyright 2022 Kingdom Publishing, dedication. This book is dedicated to my youngest son, Connor. He is my own personal creativity creator. That, of course, is an inside joke, but one that most parents should understand. He always helps pull me out whenever I am stuck in writer's block. He is truly a blessing from God, and I can't wait to see the man that he will become. Prologue Most people are oblivious to anything outside of the bubble that they have created for themselves. That definitely includes major conspiracies, the tribulation, and things that go bump in the night. Things in which they have conveniently convinced themselves either don't apply to them or only exist in the realm of make-believe. The truth is that major conspiracies have been carried out upon the common peoples of the world by the powers that should not be since the beginning of time. Everyone alive for the tribulation will go through it, and most things that go bump in the night are very real, no matter how much we may wish them to be make-believe. For the people living through the tribulation, what normally goes bump in the night will be coming after people visibly, day and night, especially those without the seal of God. The book of Revelation records the final consequences of an event that took place near the beginning of recorded history and can be found in the ancient traditions of every race of people across the ancient world. For time's sake, we're only going to look at the true account of the event itself, but we're going to use information from the places that record the true account of events. One place that holds the most credibility and historical accuracy is the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis in the Bible. Genesis chapter 6, 1 and 2. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Those two verses are the key to understanding the existence of everything that goes bump in the night. 
but it is only the beginning. To truly get the full picture, you would have to look at a few more texts. Along with this chapter of Genesis, there are other credible sources that give much more detail of the events found in Genesis 6. They are found in the parallel accounts from the biblically endorsed extra-biblical text of 1st Enoch, Jasher, and Jubilees, all of the supernatural beings that you will read about in this book are found in the pages of the Bible. These other three texts give us the details of what is described in the Bible, specifically in Genesis chapter 6. You will also see throughout the book that this event and those who were a part of it are also a part of the mythology of many, if not every, culture in the ancient world. Genesis chapter 6 is a brief description of what happened with the Watchers that God sent from heaven to earth. It began over 5,000 years ago when God sent angels called Watchers from heaven to earth to teach mankind to be righteous and worship Him as their Creator. They came between the fourth and fifth hundredth year after the creation of the world, when mankind had not yet learned the secrets of heaven. Imagine it if you can. Lightning and thunder cracked the sky, and the entire mountain shook as 200 Watcher-class angels descended upon the top of Mount Hermon. They had been sent by the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth to instruct mankind in righteousness. There, upon the summit of Mount Hermon, as they saw the women of the earth in their physical form, the watchers felt the lust of the flesh for the first time. There were twenty chiefs over groups of ten watchers, with Simjaza being a chieftain, and also the leader over them all. It was Simjaza who convinced the others to swear an oath to take wives for themselves from the women of the earth and create children of their own. But who convinced Simjaza? He was a holy seraph and the leader of the Watchers, after all. There is little chance of him betraying his creator without someone convincing him that that's what he should do. Only a being of extreme intelligence and equally extreme hatred for the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth would have the fortitude and capability to convince a being as powerful as Simjaza to rebel against God. The only being who fits that description is the same being who disguised himself as a serpent and convinced Adam and Eve to give up their dominion over 
under the earth to him by disobeying God and eating the fruit from a tree that they knew would cause death to them both. And that being's name is Samael. Under the influence of Samael, Simjaza convinced the watchers to make a choice that would seal their fate as well as the fate of all living creatures on the earth. They had been sent by God to instruct mankind in righteousness and lead them to worship Him, but instead the chiefs among them under the influence of Samael who declared, I will be like the Most High God, chose to be worshipped as gods by mankind, and they all mated with the women of earth. Their children were created from the union of the celestial with the terrestrial. Therefore, they had the heavenly strengths of their fathers and the weaknesses of their mother. They belonged to neither heaven nor earth, and were therefore born giants who were known as the Nephilim. They were great monsters who craved blood. As if creating the giant Nephilim vampires wasn't bad enough, the leaders among them taught mankind the secrets of heaven. Azazel taught men to make swords, knives, and shields. He made known to them the metals of the earth and how to work them into weapons of warfare. He taught the women how to paint their eyelids and create jewelry of silver and gold. Simjaza and his brother Armoros taught them enchantments, root cuttings, and the workings of magic spells. The other leaders of the Watchers taught them astrology and the other secrets of heaven. They used the knowledge of heaven to mix men with animals and created horrible hybrid monsters. The sins of the Watchers were so great that they corrupted the genetics of all creation upon the earth, except, say, four people of the entire population of the world. Their sins would bring down the judgment of God upon themselves and all of creation. Judgment like the world had never seen since its formation and hasn't seen since. The judgment of God landed upon the watchers and their children first. God bound all but 70 of the 200 watchers inside the earth in the lowest parts of Hades called Tartarus. He set the children of the watchers against each other and made their fathers watch as the majority were destroyed. God sent the flood all over the world as judgment upon the world to 
clean away the majority of the monstrosities that resulted from the sins of the Watchers. Very few survived the binding of the Watchers, the wars of the Nephilim, or the worldwide flood. However, two of those Watchers, their original sons, and the other monstrous hybrids that they created, known as the Fallen, who did survive, was the Watcher Armoros and his son Bane. Armoros had the secrets of heaven and power from God to control and live in the sea, and he therefore declared himself the god of magic and the god of the sea. Because of this, mankind worshipped him as such. He passed the ability to breathe underwater and survive in the sea to his son Bane, giving him the ability to survive the flood that God sent to destroy the world. After the Tower of Babel, God confused the languages of the people and scattered them across the face of the earth. He also divided them according to the number of the sons of God, the seventy watchers that God did not have bound in chains in Tartarus with the other hundred and thirty, are the same sons of God according to which he divided the nations except for Israel, whom he chose as his own. Each providence had its own principality that would be the head of its pantheon of gods. However, the pantheons themselves tended to be made up of the same gods throughout each nation, with the names being only one of the things that changed. Armoros was known and worshipped by different names throughout many different nations throughout history, but three that are the most notable are Heka to the Egyptians, Poseidon to the Greeks, Neptune to the Romans, and his son Bane was worshipped as Triton. Regardless of what name that was used, Armoros was worshipped by the navy of every nation to ever exist. It's no wonder then that after the old god started to return that he was also worshipped by the United States Navy. This is the real reason why the seals wear the trident. Chief Petty Officer Jason Thorne is an elite U.S. Navy SEAL from SEAL Team 3 who has carried out classified military operations all over the world, serving three tours in Afghanistan, specializing in demolitions and close-quarter combat as a part of Delta Platoon within the Special Naval Warfare Command. His oldest and closest friend is CIA operative Jeremiah Sanderson. Jeremiah gets him recruited into a highly classified, covert organization known only as Red Cell. During his time with Delta Platoon, he had been in almost every type of combat scenario imaginable. 
he had witnessed and carried out unspeakable acts of violence. He had faced off with every type of enemy imaginable and emerged victorious. But absolutely none of what he had seen or done thus far could have possibly prepared him for the evil he would encounter as a member of Red Cell. He was about to find out the identity of those truly in command of the most powerful military in the world, and more importantly, he would learn what exactly the prophetic implications of what those in command were planning. He'd never given a whole lot of thought to the supernatural outside of what he'd seen in movies or read in books, and he wasn't a religious or spiritual man. But that would soon be a thing of the past, because Jason was about to have his entire paradigm completely shattered when he gets thrown headfirst into a war between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. Like all who join Red Cell, he was about to find himself in the middle of the wrong side of a war that had been raging behind the scenes for the past 6,000 years. Chapter 1 The Beast That Was and Is Not Will Also Rise Again from the abyss. First John 2.18 Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Second John 1.7 For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Revelation 17.8 The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is. The watcher, Samael, who would eventually come to be called Lucifer, was furious. He had done everything in his considerable power to stop the prophesied seed of the woman from being born. Then he had killed every child who he thought could possibly be the seed that was supposed to crush his head. He thought about how he had failed in escaping his creator's prophecy again. Lucifer had lost and Jesus had won he defeated sin and death. The followers of this Jesus had truly been given tremendous power. God could have used them along with the host of heaven 
to destroy Lucifer and his angels, as well as the demons, if he didn't care about saving so many of his precious humans. Lucifer went and accused the followers of Christ before God day and night until war broke out in heaven. So Armoros, Beelzebub, and Thanatos came to fight alongside Samael, or Lucifer. But Michael and his angels battled against Lucifer and the Watchers. Michael, Raphael, Uriel, and Gabriel cast them out of heaven and down to earth. We've got to begin preparing for the final battle against heaven now, exclaimed Lucifer. I don't know how much time we have. I'm going to raise up a champion from the humans that God loves so much. He'll be the king over my armies of darkness, the same way Nimrod was so long ago. So Lucifer, being the master tactician of war that he is, started orchestrating events to raise up the one he would use to destroy the followers of Christ. He began corrupting the child who would become the Emperor Nero at an early age. Nero was born Lucius Dominus Aherbaros on the 15th of December, A.D. 37. He was the son of Gnaeus Dominus Ahenobarbarus and Agrippina the Younger. Both Gnaeus and Agrippina were the grandchildren of Caesar Augustus, giving Nero a strong claim to power. This made him Lucifer's first choice, and he would take away any innocence the boy ever had. Nero was only two years old when his mother was exiled, and three when his father died. His inheritance was taken from him, and he was sent to live with his aunt. Lucifer began whispering in the child's ear to make him hate his mother and blame her for all of his problems. Lucifer then made sure Nero's fate changed again when Claudius became emperor, restoring the boy's property and recalling his mother Agrippina from exile. In AD 49, the emperor Claudius married Agrippina and adopted Nero the following year. It is at this point that Lucius Dominitus changed his name to Nero Claudius Caesar Drusus Germanicus. In Roman times, it was normal to change your name when adopted, abandoning your family name in favor of your adoptive fathers. Nero was a common name the members of the Claudian family, especially in Claudius' branch. Nero and Agrippina offered Claudius a political useful link back to Augustus, strengthening his position. Lucifer made sure Claudius favored Nero 
over his natural son, Britannicus, making Nero the designated heir. Lucifer did his work well and corrupted the boy completely before he was even a man. Nero became the emperor of Rome at only age 16 with the death of Claudius. By age 21, Nero was so thoroughly wicked that he killed his own mother, Agrippina. Nero hated people passionately and murdered all those who his hatred fell upon, including both of his wives and as many Christians as he possibly could. Hatred had been put in his heart at an early age by the father of lies. Lucifer had the ability to enter into anyone who had opened themselves up to him, or he often used the demons he controlled to enter and influence people. Lucifer did both with Nero as often as he could from the time hatred entered him as a boy. Lucifer truly believed that the culmination of his war with heaven and the followers of Christ had come and that Nero was proof of this. Nero hated and killed the Christians so brutally and successfully that it's no wonder Lucifer thought the time of the end was at hand. Many of the followers of Christ believed the same thing. But the apostles, they were not convinced. The apostle John wrote that Antichrist would one day come, and even now, many Antichrist had gone out into the world, showing that the end had not yet come. Writing to the church in Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul said in reference to the Emperor Nero, The mystery of iniquity is already at work. But he made it clear to the Thessalonians that Nero was not the final man of lawlessness. So while Lucifer hoped the time of his revenge had come, and his man Nero did kill more Christians than anyone for thousands of years, evil would be restrained. Nero took his own life in 68 AD, and his spirit was sent down into the abyss of Hades. Lucifer didn't know how long he would have to wait for the final battle against heaven, but honestly, he was glad that he had been wrong about having to fight it right now, because he wasn't ready. He was going to corrupt as many souls as he could, kill as many Christians as he could, and use every minute until the time of the end to make sure that his plan was perfect. He knew that the day would come when he... Armoros, Beelzebub, Moloch, and Thanatos would be reunited with their imprisoned brothers, and the final battle would be fought. For now, he had a plan to infiltrate and corrupt God's church. He 
He would call a meeting of the gods on their mount of assembly upon Mount Hermon. After all, this was still his domain, and he was still the god of this world. Chapter 2 The Removal of the Restrainer and Return of the Old Gods Revelation 12, 7-12 And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. But woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3-14 let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not, that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall thou wicked one be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-3 but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Samael soared above the earth, contemplating everything he was going to do to his enemies. He would first enslave and then destroy his father's favorite little parasites, the humans. 
Then he was going to bind those no-good archangels the same way that they had done to his brothers. Then he would finally destroy his creator and take his rightful place as the king of heaven and earth. Once he had been the most beautiful angel in heaven, in charge of leading the praise and worship of his creator. He had even loved his creator at one time. Even after he rebelled and tricked Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge and convinced Simjaza and the other watchers to join him in his plan to become gods and create their own children, he was still allowed in heaven as the official accuser of mankind inside of God's divine counsel. If he was honest, he always knew the day would come when the prophesied seed of the woman would defeat him, and he would eventually be kicked out of God's presence for good. He just didn't see it happening the way it did on the cross and then in the abyss. He should have been able to see it coming, because it was a tactical move of genius that even he had to admire. The true reason that he hadn't seen it coming, because it was not some master deception like he would have used. Instead, it was a selfless act of sacrifice made in unconditional agape love for the enemies of Jesus. Samael came to a stop at the top of Mount Hermon, and he left the spiritual plane before sitting upon his throne atop of his mount of assembly. He shot an evil glance towards the ripples of power that still remained upon the side of Mount Hermon, where Jesus was transfigured to announce his arrival to the falling watching from both planes of existence. From his throne, on top of the Mount Hermon, the Samael, the Satan, ruled the earth as the god of this world. He called the other members of his unholy trinity unto him. He had felt the shift in spiritual and physical planes, and he needed to confirm his suspicions with Armoros and Beelzebub. He had felt his power grow tremendously, which could only mean that the time for revenge had come. Armoros appeared out of a cloud of black smoke in his full twelve-foot form, using his powers of darkness. Since taking the position of Admiral of the United States Navy, he normally only appeared closer to his son Bane's height of eight feet. The next moment, a thunderbolt struck the top of the mountain, carrying the storm god Baal. All three members of the Dark Trinity, Samael, Beelzebub, and Armoros were now completely manifested in the physical plane on top of their mount of assembly. Samael asked both of the other watchers if they had also felt the lack of restraint in their power. Sure enough, 
Samael confirmed his suspicions. Evil was no longer being restrained, and the time that they were waiting for had arrived. Not long after the three of them arrived on top Mount Hermon, they were joined by four more of the old gods. The nine-foot god Mammon arrived in a Merkaba, which are the angelic vehicles responsible for most of, U of the UFO sightings. As the god of greed, Mammon was known by some as the root of all evil. He was followed by the gray, pointed-eared, vampire bat-looking god of the underworld, Moloch. Then the eight-foot Nephilim vampire demigod, Bane, appeared out of a black cloud of smoke from the same black magic as his father. Finally, the black-winged, red-eyed, hooded figure of Thanatos, the Greek god of death, arrived. The seven old gods, who were the only ones of their kind who weren't chained in Tartarus, had tempted, enticed, and promised power to many men and women in exchange for their allegiance and worship for centuries. They convinced them to create secret societies of worshippers and followers. These societies had members in the highest parts of government in every nation around the world. They orchestrated the rise and fall of nations. They started wars with predetermined outcomes, created global pandemics, as well as all manner of other major world crises. They orchestrated these events to align the nations together like pieces on a chessboard for the final world conflict. Six out of the seven deities were princes over specific regions of the world who answered only to Samael, who was now called Lucifer. Lucifer reigns through his princes, and he is the god of this world. Although Lucifer and his princes have always worked through the children of disobedience, using their lust for power and their fear of death against them, there have been a few who were the worst of the worst, and their names are remembered by both sides of the fight to this very day. It was through their foolish belief that the right hidden knowledge could beat death that caused men like Knights Templar founder Hughes de Payens, Illuminati founder Adam Weishaupt, the founders of Skull and Bones, Alfonso Taft, and William Huntington Russell, the Order of Assassins founder Asani Sabah, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dome founder William Wynn Westcott, and last but definitely not least, founder of the Ordo Templi Orientis, Aliester Crowley. To see Lucifer for the fallen angel and personification of evil that he is, 
and yet still worship him and create the secret societies in his name. Each of these societies has played their part in Lucifer's plan to turn mankind against God and bring about the final world order and war against heaven. The age of reason, as God-haters like Thomas Paine like to call the 18th century, paved the way for the creation of the Illuminati by like-minded men like Weishaupt and Bavaria. The Bavarian Illuminati infiltrated and became the highest degrees within Freemasonry. This allowed for both American and French revolutions and created a new form of government that took the place of the monarchies. The universities of of America would be the home of some of the most powerful secret societies in the world such as the infamous, aforementioned Skull and Bones. The same secret societies that were paramount in the reorder of the governments of the world in the 18th century also made sure that their man was President of the United States in 2001 to make sure that the event happened to make the final world order possible. This final world order will be made up of a ten-nation federation under one world leader that is alive even now. Lucifer has been grooming this young man to take power of the world throughout his life the same way that he had groomed Nero. As they sat upon the top of the Mount Hermon, Lucifer sent Farmer Ross and Bain back to America to prepare Red Cell to make sure that the vote played no part in the outcome of the 2020 presidential election that would be taking place at the end of the year. He bid them to also send covert teams to start riots in key cities both before and after the election. He sent each of the others on missions of similar importance around the world. He would be staying in Israel. He was going to see his protege, Rabbi Joshua ben Yusuf. It was time for him to begin his rise to power. He had to secure the plans to start the building of the third temple so he could eventually announce that he was the awaited Messiah. When Lucifer left Joshua, after telling him exactly what to say to the Sanhedrin and at the press conference, he went and visited every member the Saudi royal family first, appearing to them as an angel of light. He told them that he was the angel Gabriel. Allah to tell them 
of the coming Mahdi, who was soon to be revealed. He told them that the Mahdi was going to be doing the will of Allah, and they must trust him, even if it wasn't what they expected. He said it was Allah's will that the Mahdi was born half Jew from the line of David and half Muslim from the line of the prophet Muhammad, and then he disappeared. They had no reason to doubt him, for he was the angel Gabriel after all. Lucifer did the same thing with the religious leaders of both the Sunni and Shia Muslims throughout the Middle East. Finally, Lucifer appeared to the chief rabbi in Israel and told him that Messiah would soon be revealed and that when he came, he would rebuild the temple and bring peace between Jews and Muslims in the Middle East. He had already made sure that Joshua ben Yusuf was next in line to be elected for Secretary General of the United Nations. When the time came for Joshua to reveal himself as the Messiah, the whole world would embrace him with open arms. Thank you.